Okay, what's up? This is the uh, first first podcast I'm doing. Uh, I'm Edwin, and uh, I got my uh, friend uh, Ben Harris here. We're in uh, beautiful Barbados, our first day here, and uh, yeah. So Ben, what's up? How you doing? How was today? Uh, today was good. Today was good. We worked out. We uh, ate food. Mm-hmm. You ate extremely cheaply. Yeah, it was a. Uh, it was a lot cheaper than uh, we were originally planning, since uh, Barbados is a uh, island country, pretty rural. Um, everything's fucking expensive here, isn't it? Uh, it's just important, like everything's employed, but uh, found a way to kind of basically hack that and still follow the uh, keto diet. Is it keto? The rice and mincemeat. The rice isn't, but uh, I'm kind of like basically. <laughs> You're just lying to all your millions of viewers. You haven't heard me yet. I'm tapering off. Okay. So, like, uh, in London, it was just proper not keto. Oh, is that why you were pushing back to the rice initially? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know. But I still I, don't even know what keto is. It's basically uh, less than... If you're working out and if, you're like, if you've got, a cal- like, a good calorie deficit, less, like, you can be, like, 40 grams of carbs. But to properly do it, less than 20, gra- gra- like 20 grams of carbs a day. Okay. And I think today I, I was around 50 because of the apricots, apricots. But, yeah, tapering off. But, um, yeah, uh, it was a, that was a really good thing, to find something like that quite cheap. And the idea is, basically, uh, we were in London, in, uh, London a few days ago, and uh, it's locked down there. It's basically uh, government-imposed uh, solitary confinement, and uh, uh, what we found is, uh, I think what we both found, actually, is that, you can do travel and work in this in this digital world. What you can basically find is a way to um, work and be anywhere you want. And uh, thanks to you, I've discovered you can do it quite cheap. Well, I think you did that mostly on your own, at least when it comes to food. Maybe not with the uh, transport, like air travel and uh, accommodation as much. And, and maybe not so much, you know, it's important to employ proper social protocols, like mm-hmm. what you found earlier on the phone. Why don't you talk about what happened on the phone earlier? That was a good example for a situation in travel where somebody is trying to have you spend more than you would ideally like to spend. And without intervention, you would have spent $40 that you didn't need to spend. So this is something uh, I find very, uh, like, uh, very interesting. It's... Uh, I think the best way you've described it, I fucking love this way of like, describing it, the uh, squeaky wheel gets the oil. And uh, uh, basically, when it comes to travel, you're not the only one who said it. Uh, I was talking to my friend Andrew, and he said the same thing. Basically, if wherever you travel, if, no- if they notice you're traveling, if they know that, they'll try to fuck you over. They'll try to, like, if something costs two pounds, they'll try to go out of their way to make it so that it costs six pounds. And, uh, yeah, you need to negotiate. You, you just can't be agreeable. You need to, like, stand your ground and, and find your best, find the best option. And, uh, yeah, squeak, I guess. It sucks, in a way, that, like, I have become a far less agreeable person as a result. But I'm, I'm hoping, you know, this is where... I think it's a good thing, man. It has its drawbacks and its benefits, like anything, you know. It's a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Uh, coming from the other side, because the difference is you've been doing this for quite some time. A lifetime. It, yeah. Uh, my, my father was always very encouraging of, uh, you know, just 
I'm not sure what you would call it, persuasion. He, he, he and I used to listen to this podcast called uh, The Age of Persuasion by Terry O'Reilly on the right. radio, the CBC radio, and it taught me about the basic elements of persuasion. Yeah. But, uh, this one that we're talking about right now is social protocol, where you know you speak to someone and you've said you've come from the opposite end, where you're you're technically following a social protocol, which is that you don't want to, uh, you know, butt heads. You want to be agreeable. I want to avoid conflict. Yeah. Mm. And so do they, which is yeah. where it's interesting that if you use utilize social protocol, you'll understand mm-hmm. that they also want to be agreeable. Yeah, and. Uh, Something again, it fascinates me because uh, uh, what happened today was basically uh, we've ordered some food because of the uh, corona silliness. Uh, we, we quarantined, uh, we quarantined here for the like next five days, so we can't go and order it. And we've only got a very limited uh, set of stores. Uh, and um, yeah, uh, they on the on the call they said uh, $19 for beef and. Uh, after we paid for it and everything, when it came, it was uh, thirty-seven dollars, fifty, and fifty cents. Damn! And they basically, uh, at first, to avoid conflict, I was considering like just basically e- eating it, and I just like saying it's a treat uh, or whatever. Then finally decided to actually give them a call, tell them what happened, and they were just like, "Oh, we can't take it back. It's a frozen food." And after they said that, I just basically said, oh, that's not ideal, That's uh, but okay, end of the call. You did try one more time at the end. I will say you have made strides in a more positive direction. I remember you said, uh, so, is there anything you can do? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just, said, no, sir. And he went, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, I'm working on it. It's, I'm, I'm like, it, it's not easy, man. It's not easy, but that's the whole point of this trial. It's just that needs to be changed. But basically, after the call ended, uh, uh, ben uh, called them back, and uh, it was uh, it was fascinating to watch. He, like uh, the, basically, they kept on denying it. And the lady on the other side, she was like, "No, no, no. Uh, uh, I I was pricing for kg, uh, but the whole thing is two kg." She found every excuse that yes, she could say. She did, yes, and uh, uh, we finally managed to. Uh, well, you finally managed to get them to apologize and return the item. And get the money back. Yep. Seems like not, uh, kind of a minor, you know. We it's have our hindsight set on the millions when, what did we say, $18? That's nine pounds. Not even. That's nine US, which means yeah, but the thing is six pounds. The thing is, uh, it, uh, you, you, we say this often, we talk about this a lot, uh, it matters even more. These small things when what, it comes to the millions. Uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Bigelow, he always said, um, when you're young, you deal with pennies, and when you're old, you deal with dollars. But the mechanics are the same. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I deeply believe that. I can just see it when when I saw you do that, and I was like, "Damn, what if that was directed at some like real shit?" Yeah, what if it was like a six hundred thousand dollar property deal, yeah. and then I look at the billing that they just sent me, and it's like, "This is nine hundred fifty thousand dollars. What's going on here?" <laughs> Literally, yeah, and uh, and you just be like, oh, "Okay, uh, I'll pay it." Exactly. That's why I want to change it so bad, and that's why I'm so fascinated by it. Because it's a game changer. The squeaky wheel gets the oil. And the other one is the early bird gets the worm. That's another one I'm fascinated by. Because even in this trip, there, like, there were so many things where if it was handled earlier, with a little bit of sense of urgency, could have saved a lot of trouble and a lot of money. What comes to mind? Uh, the uh, accommodation situation back in London. 
there was things if 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 uh, like the notice was given earlier or the office situation in London, if that was handled earlier, hundred pound, right? The office situation mm. that's like eight hundred pounds of a deposit with WeWork. Yes. What well, could you? Oh, because you could negotiate. Right. I believe I could have negotiated out of that in the same approach. That's a funny example. Like it yeah. almost it probably would have been. Almost the same phone call as the stakes. Yes. You know, so many, it'd be so similar. You know, I don't know. Yeah, and that was a week's thing. Like, literally a week earlier, if that was handled, that would have been, that wouldn't have been as much of an issue. But, you know, all it takes is, I find my philosophy is you take one, the first time is not a mistake. Anytime you make a mistake, if it's the first time, I don't even really consciously count it. As, as a true mistake. It is a mistake, yep. but it's like environmental, it's circumstantial. If it's happened again, it's your mistake. And that's when it becomes a problem. And this yep. is an opportunity for you to say, well, I'm sure something similar has happened countless times, but this is an opportunity to say this specific thing will never happen again. On my deposit, I will always make the efforts that I never made this previous time. I like that. I like that. And uh, I guess to be clear, the reason I brought, brought those things up is just I think the... Uh, both the the uh, this the squeaky or like the squeaky oil gets like the squeaky wheel gets the oil and the uh, early bird gets the one. I think they're stupidly valuable lessons, and uh, they sound almost corny and cliche. Like you wouldn't really listen to them if someone told you that just passively. But for for some reason, like from the first time we were talking about this, I found it very valuable because I think ever since Bobby said those words to me, yeah, it made more sense because Bobby has always been like. Bobby Bigelow, for those of you who don't know, is my, is my very close friend and, and mentor of, and based in Las Vegas. And he's mm-hmm. been teaching me for years how to just how to just be and how to fight for your way. And, and uh, I remember years ago, for years, he told me, just call him back then. Call him back. Do this, do that. And I'm like, B, call him back is not going to do anything. I used to think I was so smart. Like, oh, call him back will never do anything. And one time, after a hundred times, he told me to just call them back and say this or call them back and speak to somebody different. Mm-hmm. I realized what he meant when he just said a simple metaphor of the squeaky. He actually says it: the squeaky hinge gets the oil. Yeah, you I see. You the wheel works it. just as well. Anything, you know, it's you. obviously just a metaphor. And the moment he said those words, I was like, "Wow, you're right." I I think when he told me those words, it was me going on a rant and complaining about. I think my real estate people they weren't mm-hmm. repairing something at the property, and I'm like, I have left this with them for weeks. And he's like, "That's the problem. You don't leave it with them." <laughs> You don't leave it with them. As soon as you're off the phone with them, they stop thinking about you. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. That's it. And they don't think about it. They're not just like, oh, I wonder what Ben's up to. Oh, yeah, there's that thing I have to do. No, that doesn't happen. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, like I, I think it was the same, similar situation with me. Where I've, I've, seen, I've seen a repeated pattern of things left unhandled coming to buy you in the back. And when those words were put, I was like, holy shit, makes so much sense. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, I guess, to many more lessons to come. Many more of those uh, uh, big things compressed into like... Uh, Is that a mental model? Um, I, 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 I would believe so, yes. I'm not sure what constitutes a mental model. I would say compounding. So um, the uh, early bird gets the ball. Uh, it's... Uh, well, wait. I'm specifically, I guess, talking about those situations we were talking about. It was just basically... Uh, like anything that's like positive, the way it compounds, it the say it works the same way, the opposite as well. Anything negative, like it'll just compound. 
I guess that wouldn't be an accurate one, but I think that that does apply to some extent. But I need to do some research. But I would I would be surprised if there isn't a mental model for it, because it's such a common thing. Um, Jordan Peterson has a very good uh, way of describing it. He calls them uh, like uh, snake, the, the snake that turns into the dragon. Basically, like like if you if you know like well often you know something's wrong, you know you should battle it. But if you ignore it, while you're ignoring it, that little snake or something will turn into something. And the longer you ignore it, the stronger it gets until one day it'll come and get you. And now you can't, you can't win. It'll, it'll kill you. It's too strong. Before, if you, like, if you figured it, like, if you fought it earlier, you might have been able to kill it. Uh, so since Jordan Peterson talked about it, and since it's such a fundamental archetype, I would be surprised if there isn't a mental model for it. All right, we got to spend some more time looking into the mental models, but yeah, it's a, it's definitely a fascinating lesson that I picked up. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk more about you, man. You uh, got a couple of things going on right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about uh, Kit. Okay. What's Kit? What's Kit going on mobility. with that? What's going on with Kit? Well. At this stage, the mission statement for Kit is uh-huh. that uh, is to be the the future of, of uh, well, I hate mission statements like that of oh it's the future of this or that. I just think that it's important that people have a mode of transportation that is carryable, and right now is the first time in history where such has been possible. Yeah, and and uh, I mean as to. Where everything is at right now, we're in extremely difficult times. I mean, I say we, it's still just myself. Uh, I've had a couple of people come in and out of people, you know, to help with me uh, in terms of product design and, and a couple of people to help with prototype assembly. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult game. And I know some people in China who are moving very fast and have a lot of money and a lot of people. As they say, hardware is hard. Hardware is really fucking hard. That is basically. Uh one of the coolest, uh, well, one of the most portable, like, uh, electric uh, skateboards, right? I mean, yeah, right now, I hate to say that we make an electric skateboard, but, I mean, that is what we do. That just, I guess, kind of loses track of the long-term mission. I get is, what you mean, but, like, you know, you got to look at the micro first, innit? Yeah. Um, right now, it is an electric skateboard product. Yeah, and uh, um, hands down, uh, from the moment I, I saw it, I was like, this thing is cool. Um, like... Uh, Around a few like a few months ago, like around May May last year, that was the first time Ben uh, introduced me to this world, and uh, basically I was like, "Holy shit, this thing is fucking awesome!" And uh, I think you did something very cool, which is you introduced me to the the wow go first, like what like one of the big ones first, and I got used to it. Then you were like, "Give this a try." I was like, "Damn, damn, a massive difference." Like, this other thing is like an 8, what's it, what's it, 8 kg? Yeah, 8.2. Yeah, an 8 kg thing you're carrying around. And, uh, yeah, then then you get the kickboard, which is basically like half. half. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's 4, four kilo. Well, right now it's 4.5, but I think the final production version will be just less than 4. And that's a game changer, just like literally carrying it to Tesco's or something. A vehicle that you can kick up and carry is just so good. It's it's hard to even understand because people are so used to a bicycle or let alone a, a car yeah. that you would, of course, not be able to carry. Um, That's why I think what you did was so cool. First, like, let me try out the big one. 
and then being like, I was like, oh, this is so cool. You can travel to like places with it. You're like, if, if, if it would have usually taken like 16 minutes to get to Tesco's, now you can do it in, what, eight well, the, the best way, yeah, the best way is to look at it as like five or six times faster than walking. So if something takes an hour it's to like walk, surfing which, on concrete. Yeah, you would not, you wouldn't walk somewhere that is an hour away unless you're trying to have like a specific walk, and yeah. that's just like what you're doing that day. But you would go somewhere that's ten minutes away, and the whole point of the kitboard is that it makes anything that's an hour away by walking just ten minutes. And this thing is even lighter, and you can even pull it up and like just leave it. Self-standing. Yeah, that's a game changer. The other uh, few weeks ago, uh, I took the wild go for a ride, and going in Tesco's, there was this massive hassle of like just putting it by my leg to get something, mm -hmm. then putting it by somewhere else. Oh, you should see what happens when it rolls. Uh, like if you set it against something that's not quite stable. Oh, and then done it, that. It, it, yeah, I've done that. <laughs> so yeah. Slap the whole crap. Everyone in the fucking shop is looking at you. Yeah. yeah. It ha sounds, it's happened more than a few times. Sounds beautiful. Hence yeah. the interest in it being self-standing. It's through necessity that these features were, were demanded. And as yeah. it stands at this moment, there is still no other lightweight or self-standing uh, electric vehicles in the game. Uh, and a lot of these Chinese companies are trying to shift the form quicker than I think they need to. That like, okay, so 2015 onwards, we had those hoverboards and uh, you know, everything from there, try to apply those same motors, like literally throw a circuit board, a battery and a motor and try and make that in every possible configuration that your imagination can create. And the Ch that's exactly what the Chinese have done for the last six or seven years. I think you've described it in a very cool way as well. You used uh, the amplitude bars to describe it, right? The what? The amplitude bars. Uh, yeah, yeah. That is now ending. Is uh, But uh, for those of you who don't know, the amplitude wars were uh, the reason they're called amplitude is specific to the gramophones of the early 1900s, um, because manufacturers of gramophones in that time were so you know advertising was in its very early stages and uh, well I can't even say that because you know we still do the same exact thing today but imagine an advertisement in the paper every other week for the latest gramophone and it would always be a higher and higher amplitude being advertised. And it got to the point where people were producing gramophones with such a high amplitude that it had lost all the cadence of the music. That it would play loudly, but that was all. And it would not actually have any like depth or cadence. It would just be a high amplitude gramophone. And the reason that, uh, I guess, I'm not sure if it's economists or the reason it's referred to now as an amplitude war is that as a new industry pops up, you find that uh, the competition is, is fighting so aggressively against each other that they lose track of the end customer experience. It um, still happens in PCs. That yes. you know, people are like, this one's 4.5 gigahertz. This one's 4.6 gigahertz. The point is, it's not fucking about how many gigahertz. Exactly, and I think this is where, to give like, a, I guess, a, like a, a, a go on a bit of a tangent, I guess this is where I think uh, the best has a massive advantage over China. China can make things fast, but they haven't got the, the creativity, they haven't got the innovation, the soul. And uh, the, this is why a lot of these uh, uh, other competitors, they were, they're just focusing on building the biggest board. They're focusing on like getting into like stupid speeds. If you've ever driven like an electric skateboard, you know you don't want to go on stupid speeds. You know you're just asking for trouble. But they don't get it. They're just saying, oh, the number. It's a bigger number. That means we'll sell more. If boosted board makes it 22 miles per hour, then the Chinese competitor needs to make it 23. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, that is still... An, and by the way, that is not just an issue with manufacturers. That extends to customers. 
I used to work at Apple, and I couldn't tell you how many people would come in, want to talk about a MacBook for a minute, and then spend the rest of the exchange just talking about how, oh, well, I'm looking at a Windows machine right now that's actually 4.5 gigahertz. I can see this MacBook is just peaks at 4.3. <laughs> uh, but they, you know, they never realized that it's not about that. There's so many things working in unison that a singular number doesn't account for any other potential bottleneck that might right. be in the factor. And obviously, as we now know, Apple really focuses on all those things coming together. So right, that a it's holistic a, experience, yeah. Exactly. And that's exactly what Kit is there to function. We're going to limit our speeds at 22 miles per hour, and that'll be a turbo mode. Uh, it's... And, uh, no one should be going more than 22 miles per hour on a small plank of wood. In my very little experience, yeah, no one should. <laughs> Even no 22 is yeah. enough to kill you. Like, that's why yeah, it's that's not, Let's not go there. But that's yeah. why it's turbo, 100%. Uh, do some damage. I would, I'd leave that. Alone. It is enough to kill you. Derek was going just under. My close friend Derek, he was going just under 20-something miles per hour when he took uh, a pretty serious hit, uh, took some pretty serious head trauma. And, uh, you know, we can just thank God that that wasn't fatal. Yeah. Because we have, he has no idea how it happened. It just, you know, it just happened. And at speeds like that, I mean, it doesn't seem like a lot. When you're in a car, you're surrounded by all kinds of safety mechanisms. But the difference between 15 and 20 miles per hour, at 15, you land on your feet if you're dismounting unexpectedly. At 15, even if you don't land on your, your legs and you, you crash, you take a couple scratches. Yeah. At 20... You can be subjecting yourself to head trauma. At 20, you're subjecting yourself to a wrist fracture. At 20, no one needs to go that fast. And now, I have an electric skateboard in Las Vegas waiting for me that is the fastest commercial skateboard ever. How fast is it? 30 miles per hour. Yeah. Seems so minor because these days people, you know, cars are always, you know, based off of 0 to 60. So 30 sounds like baby speed. I don't think so. Like, I think if, if, if... Again, this would depend on experience in the industry. If you have some experience in the industry, then you realize how much difference it makes. Like uh, on the like every time I've driven these boards, I'm usually I usually never go use the highest. Never had, never had to. I mean, and the few accidents I had, none of them anywhere near as bad as the one you mentioned. But uh, yeah, speed made a major difference. I I hope that we'll find a way to successfully be able to you know that's the other thing in it like uh, with kit you're also focusing on how to make it the safest selling things on the like s- selling things with it that can make the experience hmm. much safer i mean i used apple as an example a minute ago but even they're not free of the amplitude wars within the world of computing even now they don't publish any of the numbers around their arm based processors that they're they winning, re- hmm? they're winning Making. They're winning for sure, and but I mean, uh, yeah, and and they have positioned themselves so that you know, even though there's that one guy who's reviewing stuff on the internet who goes and does a benchmark score, and mm-hmm. even though they haven't publicly made the numbers available for how fast their CPUs are, people will still squeeze it out of them and then say, "Well, the Intel Xeon is uh, 4.5." And I get what you mean. It, it affects enough to the point where in their presentations they still try to do the metrics and try to show, no, 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 numbers show. They still try. They try, but they, they use the holistic numbers. They use yeah, like, our PCs are 50% more powerful than the competition because that wraps up all the different specifications and the OS yeah. and everything coming together. Um, of course, yeah. And uh, with Kit, uh, basically, you're trying to get it out as soon as possible, right? Uh, I've been saying that for quite a while, Just yeah. a few days. 
just a few days. We were due to launch in March of 2020. <laughs> what a terrible time to launch a product that you're meant to bring onto a plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shit. Uh, every, I've told that story a few times, the idea that, but, you know, hopefully I look back at that as being like, oh my God, we just, we, sur you know, I can't, we survived. C'est la vie. And right now that is what it is. We are in survival mode. Mm -hmm. um, it's looking pretty good though. Everything's sure. looking, uh, everything's looking like a successful launch is coming soon. I think so. I think so. It's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting couple months ahead. For you too, huh? I mean, you know, as this is the first podcast, uh, it's probably worth saying where, where you're at right now, Mr. Well, Edwin Jose. I decided to take a, a big shift and uh, decided uh, it's time for uh, to add some travel in the mix. And uh, Barbados is the first place. Very soon, Miami is coming there. And right now is a particularly strange time to be going to Miami because... Uh, the United States, for the first time ever, as far as I'm aware, has completely banned all European travelers. Uh, you cannot fly from anywhere in Europe to the U.S., uh, unless you're a U.S. citizen. Uh, and so what then you have to do, the only possible workaround, is to fly somewhere that is not Europe or China or Brazil or a bunch of the countries they have on the list and basically wait for two weeks. Um, and that is how we landed in Barbados, is because we're here for two weeks before the U.S. border will allow us to cross. What an unfortunate fix, isn't it? I know. Oh, shit. Like, look at this. It's, it's a, a hard time. It's, it's so hard. hard. So hard. Look at the view. So ugly. I've heard that as a response to every single person I've said, like, oh, the only way to get to the U.S. is to wait in Barbados. And they're always like, oh, what a hard time for you. That's got to be tough. Uh, but yeah, it has been tough. This is the fourth time I've been here four months. Shit, that's once a month on average. Well, again, poor you. <laughs> no, you know what? It's March now. First time I went was in November. That's five months. And uh, to everybody listening, the comparison is London during winter. Yeah. Wow. I mean, we're currently here recording this with our shirts off. Exactly. On a balcony. With a beautiful a, view. Next to a pool. And literally what? Like, 500 meters away from a beach? Yeah, if that, actually. You can, you can literally see the beach from, like the sea from here. Oh, man. Yeah. I think uh, it's going to be a, it's gonna be an interesting few months. I think this might be one of the last times we experience freedom on this level. Really? Uh, I say we because I'm referring to you. <laughs> but actually, no, I suspect and worry that it might be for myself as well. Um, it's plain. I mean, you uh, have spoken about building a, building a comfortable prison for yourself. Yeah. Which is like, I guess, a more traumatic, a dramatic way of saying that in order to achieve great things in this life, one needs to sacrifice and, you mm -hmm. know, subject themselves to a certain amount of regiment in order to achieve such accomplishments. Um, playing a little footsie with me under the table. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, and, and so, you know... If you're going to have to build a prison for yourself, as a, you know, and by that, it's a very dramatic way of saying it. Everyone lives in a prison by this definition. A prison is just when you have to wake up every morning and go to sleep every night and do what is dictated for you instead of what you specifically choose to do. And I think uh, the uh, delusion is, I guess, the idea that there is no prison. Like the idea that like there are no limitations, there are no sacrifices. Whereas in, in reality, it's more like either you voluntarily 
build your own, build your own, let's say, choose your own sacrifices, choose your own suffering, or, like, the world would kind of... Choose it for you. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly does. And we've experienced that. Yeah. Uh, I used to work at McDonald's. Where did you used to work? Sainsbury's? Uh, Sainsbury's was, yeah, Sainsbury's for a month. But other than that, I think mostly being entrepreneurial. But um, I had my, yeah, I had my prisons. Uh, I think the big one was uh, the, the venture in it, Ripka. That okay. was, but that was at least, that was a good element of I chose it. And that was during like the, the, the hardest times at Webco, I think that was the one thing that, that made it so that we like we could push forward. Is that idea that you know we chose to do this, like like yeah, that makes a big difference. I guess I I still believe that we don't have to live in a prison. That you can find a way. The the yes the, the default is the society will give you a prison, and that's actually going more in that direction. Where no matter what you do. Like, we're both on universal credit right now. We both know that uh, the government is increasingly becoming this this position in society that will just assign you a life if you don't have one. <laughs> Where it's like, oh, you don't have a job? Well, here, work as a postal worker. Or, you know, how many calls have you had from the government saying, here's all the different jobs that we can just give to you? Yeah. A lot, right? Mm-hmm. And th- those are the sort of assigned prisons Mm-hmm. Whereas yes, there is also the opportunity to start your own business and build your own prison, as it you know, as it were. But I guess I still hope that um, there's a way to live in a way that's totally improvised. That is day to day, and there's a certain degree of uncertainty, and that you live out of a given sort of financial nest egg, so that you're never you know you can always put bread on your plate. I guess but, this is where we slightly differ, though. Oh, yeah. But I don't think this is a. I don't think the difference is a. Is a uh, disagreement. Okay. I think it's more a uh, difference in character. Okay. I think you were traveling there. Made a lot of stops. Yes, you have. All over the world. Yes. And in every port, I owned a heart of at least one lonely girl. You do love that song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, shout out Ricky Martinez. Is that his name? <gasps> What's uh, his name? I'm blanking. I'm blanking. Ah, I'm a traveling man. I've made a lot of stops. Yeah, I'm blind all over the world. It's your song. You should know. And in every heart. Oh shit! <laughs> I fucked it up already. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think you. I think you look. You're. Uh, I guess. You're. I guess more adventurous in a way. But you look. You're more like. I guess nomad life. I don't. I don't actually want to live like a nomad. I think. Um, it's, I've always attributed the, the, the traveling period of my life, which has been the last five years, as, um, did you ever hear of like what early sort of, I think 15th to 18th century young men did, wealthy aristocratic young men did? It's called their grand tour. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're born in, you know, 16th century England as, an, as a young, arist- as a son to an aristocrat or a clergy member or even, you know, royalty, you would go on a grand tour where you would travel Europe, understand your place, understand what the world was in its given state, and come back, and that would be enough information to dictate how you should live the rest of your life. Was the idea, um, and that's sort of where I stand. Where like, there's a lot that you give up when you live this way of one country to the next every other week. But hang on a second, though. Um, if you think that's the case, mm-hmm. right? That means. Uh, uh, how is that? That wouldn't be compatible with the idea that 
it is still possible to live your life like everyday life um, completely improvised because you can live it improvised in the same place you don't need to be going anywhere because um, if you live in the same place and uh, I guess uh, to kind of uh, add some context to uh, this uh, uh, one of the things you've discovered is this traveling lifestyle it means uh, a lot of things are ephemeral mm. it's very hard to get close friends because you're never in one place for a very long time it's very hard to uh, basically and sometimes you get closer than you should in too short of a time yeah as yeah. we've now learned <laughs> yeah a few times <laughs> shit yeah but uh, yeah and that makes it so that basically be living an adventurous like life living a life of a traveling man mm. that means a lot of things are ephemeral and you don't have things that you get through a little bit of sacrifice commitment and a lot of other things mm. so if that means yeah basically that means you, you're gonna have to build it and to be clear I think prison is a very uh, as you were saying bit too dramatic and it's a bit too uh, stark a bit ugly a better word would be I guess sacrifices responsibilities responsibilities and it's actually responsibility is a good one because like it's just like that life gives you responsibilities or you can choose them right and what I was saying earlier was essentially either life gives it to you well, you just said it actually <laughs> right yeah or you can avoid any responsibilities for as long as you live and just live totally ephemerally all the time. Yeah. I don't and advise you, that. And you're suggesting you would have, you've already done it for quite some time, mm -hmm. and to some extent, I guess, and you you see yourself getting, like, growing out of it. Yeah, definitely. I feel like for the last five years, I've just questioned a few, two, two, two big questions. One Where's the best places? Where's the best places on Earth? I've tried every continent. Unless they're hiding something very exciting in Antarctica, I won't know that because that's the one continent I've never been to. But outside of that, I have like traveled and I would say consciously, mindfully traveled. I wasn't – I never really go somewhere to just party ever. I've never done that. Uh, I've only gone places for like business interests or maybe cultural interests um, – and I always have been asking this one question, which means I've come out of it with what I feel is some pretty valuable information. But the other question, as an entrepreneur, was where? what are the fastest growing opportunities? What are the fastest growing global opportunities? Before we get to that, right? The, the, the first question, right? I guess, which is the coolest place? Give me, give me some uh, cheat codes. I've always actually said the same answer to this question. I think uh -huh. you already know it, that I say this. <laughs> Any guesses? Uh, nah, come on, enlighten. Come on, guess. Enlighten. I'll give you a hint. Enlighten. Arigato. Arigato zaimasu. Really? Yeah, man. Tokyo was number one. It was the coolest place I've ever been. I'm surprised, actually. Yeah. I mean, there was, there's a, a cool story to accompany it, because, you know, round, I think we paid 82 pounds each way <laughs> for the for the flight on Turkish Airlines, five stars, where there's a little... little Damn, that shit. Right? Like, yeah. And that was, uh, what, one stop in Istanbul. The flight started in Budapest, but it was just 10 pounds to fly to Budapest. <laughs> Gotta love Ryanair. So all in all, that was an extremely low cost. I mean, it was low cost to get there. And then Tokyo actually is one of the most expensive cities on earth. But 
there was just a lot of wisdom imparted to me by, by strangers and uh, friends made, although in time they were found to be sort of more ephemeral friends. You know, if you don't, yeah. if you don't reconnect or visit some, if you, you know, I, I promised myself when I left there I wouldn't go an, a year without coming back. That was the only place that I did that, where I was like, I will come back here soon. You love that place that much, yeah? Yeah, and I never did. I never went back because actually after those round-trip flights, there was never another airfare. There was never a price like that, not even close. Right now, I think the cheapest I've seen since then, this is going to sound like not a lot more, but it was like 220 pounds. And that's maybe from Madrid or Stockholm or something like that. So, that, you know, you got to fly to those places. And To be clear, right? You're saying it was a cool place, not mm -hmm. a place to live in. I actually have always considered it to be the place where I would probably have like a second or third base. But ever in the years since, I have come to find that for economic reasons, it doesn't make sense to have an additional base there. Obviously, it just really depends on where China's going. Mm -hmm. You know, right now, it looks like the most logical places to have my personal bases would be London, West Coast, United States, and China, Shenzhen specifically, mm -hmm. um, possibly Hong Kong. Uh, it's, uh, it's looking a bit ugly there right now. Yeah. But it makes sense for like, you know, your 45 minutes to Shenzhen and then another hour to anywhere in the Guangdong province, which is where all the manufacturing goes on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, right now, but I really don't, you know, Tokyo, I will continue to say, is the okay. number one place. Uh, since, uh, because of uh, a plethora of reasons, yeah. uh, Japan seems to be sidelined here. It's not an economic place. You know, I would go there for pleasure. Again, and maybe that's why I never ended up going oh, back. Oh, those Japanese ladies, man. Actually, no. That was one of the reasons I, uh, I I consider it to be number one. It's because I was not at all distracted by, like, you know, you know into romantic lady. endeavor. You know, into Japanese ladies, huh? Not at all. Okay. <laughs> In fact, me and uh, I was there with a friend at the time, and while we were on the subway, every single day, uh -huh. there would be, like, a little group of <laughs> Japanese schoolgirls going, like, like, Typically, school goes as in too young or like well, yeah. I mean, you can never tell, right? Because uh -huh. if they're eighteen or not, they're Japanese. It's kind of hard to tell. Okay, let's uh, let's. I don't think that's. <laughs> let's. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. I think anyone knows what I'm talking about. That, I know. I know what you're talking about. That yeah. like when a Japanese woman is is forty six years old, she looks I, like she's twenty three. Yes. It's the same exactly deal that, when they're yeah. 18 or 12. No, okay. <laughs> 12 is an extreme. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I wanted to segue. Sorry, are you publishing this? <laughs> There's no much on this conversation. That <laughs> and, and it's very well, I guess. But, uh, uh, okay. Because of uh, some reasons, Japan has been sidelined. Mm. The next best option. To live in. And, yeah. Funny, it's weird. Almost no conversations about where the best place is. Mm -hmm. Even include a second. People always just want to know about the first, more and more about it, which I, is... I guess this is a, mm -hmm. a new conversation you're going to have. Yeah, you're going to make me rack my brain a bit. Uh -huh. The second best Vegas? place. No. No. San Vegas Diego? Vegas is, is great. Mm, San Diego did change my life. You know, these things are so subjective, but to myself... Miami. Those Latinas, man. I mean, sure but not as a, I try to encompass everything. And you would be blown away by the amount of variability that goes into the question of where is the best places. Um, but I would actually say London. 
It's uh, damn. <laughs> that should, was a fuck. You should see the way Edwin just looked at me. London is the best place on earth between the months of July and August. July and August, yes. Number one. And if the government stops being Nazis. Okay, th- that is they are moving a bit mad recently. The police during this pandemic are getting. There's no other word for it. They're overstepping their bounds for sure. They're getting a bit crazy. Even business-wise, uh, we recently learned some uh, issues with Kit, right? Yes. Uh, so for the last two years, Kit has been developed in London, uh, and it's been tested in London, the streets of London, skateboarding around all the time. Uh, only once have I ever had an altercation with the police, and they were, you know, made some vague attempt yeah. to say that, you know. By some strict, arbitrary, two hundred year old law, this is illegal, right? And I was like, "Yeah, I did know that. I run this company, but I'm just gonna keep doing it until someone tells me to stop." Are you, for the record, are you telling me to stop? And he goes, "Well, no, but <laughs> if if the directive comes in, I will take three points off your license and fine you three hundred pound. But for now, I'm just giving you a warning." I'm like, "Okay, you're warning me about a future maybe warning that might have right, okay." But yeah. at the end of it, you know, that was, what, a year ago. Now, they, as a result of the pandemic, they want less people on public transport, and that has meant uh, a much more accelerated interest for the British government in micromobility as a genre of transport. Um, and, you know, shout out to Grant Shapps, the transport secretary at this moment, a uh, very progressive individual. But just in the last week or so, they've announced that they are going to introduce a licensing scheme, which um, doesn't bode well for micromobility in other forms, such as a, a skateboard or a unicycle type or any of any other variation, really, because they now require a license plate, which you can do on a scooter, but you really can't do on an electric skateboard. And so on this new regime, it effectively eliminates the opportunity for people to, to use this product in any way that is just casual. That if you were caught using an electric skateboard in London, you would be fined 300 pounds and three points would be taken off of your license. This is what I mean, Nazis. That's tough. And I hope, Derek, uh, one of my close friends and uh, actually the gentleman who helped me to design the early prototypes of Kit, um, he has a belief, his immediate response to that news was, We'll fight it. <laughs> there, you know, you just more than ever. It's important that people buy into it, try it, see how much of a massive step forward it is for personal transportation. And you know, they can't arrest tens of thousands of people. See, that's the thing. I don't have that same hope. I, I'm generally optimistic, but this is why I left the country. I just think it's, it wasn't the government. Like we were bound to have tyrannical governments. It's the people. They're doing shit. Like like, they don't put yeah they just put up with it yeah and and that was like okay I'm out like that that was the that was the big uh, deal breaker most recently they introduced a, a, a pandemic specific law that means that if you leave the country first of all it's illegal to leave the country for anything other than work or weddings or a couple other um, you know stipulations that allow you to leave legally but you need to now fill out a declaration form that you hand in upon your return. And if that re- reason was not found to be legitimate, you're subjected to as much as a ten thousand pound fine and even potentially prosecution. This is what I mean. Nazis. Just for leaving the country. Nazis. It's like basically they're not even allowing you to opt out. You know, like, and uh, it doesn't look pretty. So, well, uh, hello to Miami, I guess.
Hello, Miami. Hello, Barbados. Hello, an unwritten adventure. Yeah, yep. That's wild, man. It's going to be beautiful, man. Where have you seen in the world? So far, I think uh, it's been uh, India, uh, North Wales, um, and uh, London, mm -hmm. Barbados. This is what I mean. There's a lot of adventures to come. My Wait. list is quite small at the moment. Yeah, where's your favorite place? Out of all those? Yeah. I've just become the host here, but yeah, <laughs> where's your favorite place? No, no. Uh, help yourself, I guess. Um, mm. London so far, but that's because this has only been day one here, and we're in quarantine. Yeah. But this place is already getting quite high up on the list. <laughs> just from the balcony of our hotel. Room. Already beaten North Wales. <laughs> but that was a very low bar, though. Doesn't get much lower. Even yeah. India, though? Mm. India. What's the biggest upside to India and the biggest downside? The biggest. Uh, so in India, I'm from uh, like southern India, uh, Kerala, uh, and uh, I would say. Biggest upside, I would say, I would say the weather's really good. Um, and uh, if you were to compare, I guess, Barbados to uh, Kerala, Kerala would win it. Like, it wouldn't even be a comparison. Because it's, uh, I, I, when I was like uh, calling my family, telling them how this place is, this place is basically Kerala, but like instead of majority Indians, it's just majority black people. And there's a, there's a little bit of sprinkling of like, uh, I guess, British architecture and a bunch of things. Like everything, just from the way a lot of these buildings are built, the weather, uh, the kind of like banana trees and the kind of plants you see, just a lot of things. And India has all of that. But also food is very cheap and uh, very good internet and uh, very good transportation. This is India you're talking about. Yes. Very good transportation. But uh, the biggest downside is bureaucracy. Here? Uh, in India as well. Yeah, as well, right? Because here yeah. it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad here, but uh, in India as well. And it's, I would say it's a, a, a very uh, collectivist culture. That's the biggest downside of India. It's why I love America. America is the opposite of that. It's like freedom. Like, it's, America is very like, individual-oriented, freedom-oriented, whereas um, India is very collectivist-oriented. Yeah, so what that would mean is like, like in India, there's a there's gonna be very few entrepreneurs. There are still many though, but still very few, few and far between. That's why onward and upward, right? Onward to Miami. Boom. I can't wait, man. For me, I guess uh, India would be like the way you see London. It's very good for a very specific reason, for a, a set at like a very short short period of time. If I had a business operational in the United States, mm -hmm. then, yeah, I 100% I think that uh, there's not enough freedom for business in the UK, mm -hmm. but outside of that, it's pretty fucking awesome. When it's sunny. <laughs> when it's sunny, oh my goodness, very specific stipulation. Ten yeah. months out of the year, fucking sucks. Yes. Yeah. You. It's weird. Anyone listening to this, go to London in a sunny day. And go to London on a rainy day, 
and just look at the people. Look at the people. <laughs> you will see what I'm fucking talking about. I was just taking the picture when it was just sunny the other day. It was just like, you should see people. They're just so happy. They're getting out. They're mm. just so energetic. And then you should see them during the winter months. It was sunny a few days ago, and on my way, it's like a less. It's like a mile and a half to get to the office, mm-hmm. and I must have had at least ten different people smile at me. Two different people waved at me. That doesn't happen in London at all. No, people are almost during those ten months you were talking about. People are almost always like, "Fuck off! We don't want to talk to me." Frowning, looking away. Generally displeased, if not just neutral facial expressions, yeah, every which way, including myself, <laughs> like everybody, <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, I think I'm at a place where I'm, I'm, I'm kind of saying London's cool, looking a bit too naughty, but still pretty cool. But uh, let's see what else is out there. I think you're at a place where you've seen quite some stuff now, it's a uh, decision time. This is why the next few months are going to be pretty interesting, man. Very interesting. Very yeah. spicy. <laughs> I'd love to uh, have another one of these talks. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah. It's been uh, pretty interesting. This was the first. First of many more to come. I like it. Uh-huh. Appreciate a lot, it. A lot more, uh, lot more interesting conversations. All anyway. right, everybody. Uh, this is the first one. So uh, might be a little, uh, <laughs> little, uh, little weird here and there. But... Uh, You'll see the improvements on the other iterations and uh, thanks for listening.